Ring Ring, it's time for another episode of Crossplay Conversations, the show where we dive deep into the world of video games while keeping it light. I'm your host this week, Luke Lewis, and today I'm joined by my co-host. He has 99 podcasts, and this is most definitely one, the business boy, Jacob McCourt. Hi, Luke. Uh, just a duo today. It's a little intimate podcast. Yeah, just the two of us. The first two-person episode since we started the show. Joseph is alive and well. Um, he's been doing some traveling, so he's sitting out this episode, but he'll be back. This is a perfect segue into our next episode, which will be recorded in person at PAX West, because we'll all be attending the show together, and it's going to be really exciting. And as of this recording, that will be going later this week to PAX, so that Wild. feels incredibly soon. Mm -hmm. um, but I know you have a couple panels. Do you want to give a quick plug for listeners of where to check out some cool content over the weekend, whether they're at the show or tuning in via Twitch? Yeah, I uh, have two panels on Sunday. Uh, my first panel is the Game Boy Advance is the greatest handheld ever made. Hyperbolic, I know. But that's how you get the panel and you get the bus and seats. Uh, it's going to be a panel with some lovely folks where we talk about the history of the Game Boy Advance and then build the list of the 15... Uh, best Game Boy Advance games decided by yo the audience at PAX West. Love uh, it. So that's at eleven thirty in the um, that's at eleven thirty in the Monarch Theater, and then later in the evening uh, I'm hosting video game uh, video game trivia three dub edition. Uh, the third time we're doing video game trivia live, which is awesome, and another fantastic panel of folks. Uh, that one will not be on Twitch. Um, the first one will be on Twitch, either Twitch 2 or Twitch 3. Uh, this one will be recorded for release later, uh, but that'll be in the Blue Morpho, and that one is at, I believe, 6.30. So, if you if you can stand the sound of my voice and you want to hear some really fun content live, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, please come find us. And Luke and Joseph will probably be in the, the trivia panel at the very least. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be around for both. We... Mm -hmm. The GameCube panel you did at PAX East was super fun, so I'm excited to see the Game Boy fans. I feel like I'm way more familiar with the Game Boy catalog, so I'm going to get hyped and like shout about um, Super Mario Kart Super Circuit would probably be yeah. one for me that I'm like championing for. I'm trying to think. I'll have to make my like short list before the panel. But anyway, good stuff. Well, he here's Listeners, a fun thing. Please check why don't? Out. Yeah. Why don't? Uh, so we have our list sort of pre-selected because usually we like to seed ten, mm -hmm. and that way, like, it's not just the audience throwing out picks the whole time. We start from somewhere. Sure. Uh, take a stab at one of the ten games that's on that list. Um, I guess broad question: Are there any ports of like SNES Ooh. stuff, or is it all specific? GBA original. It is mostly GBA originals. Okay. There's one that is technically not a, an, an OG release. Okay. My gut would go to Metroid Fusion. Ooh, not on the list for really? the first 10. Very yeah. interesting. Okay. Um, give me give me a couple more. Let me see. Um, any Super Mario like 2D platformers happening? So this was a, a bit of a point, not a point of contention, but like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were talking that like somebody in the audience, it's the fun thing with this panel of like someone in the audience will come up and say, Yoshi's Island. Right. So our thought was like, let's go deeper into the catalog. So for that reason alone, on our starting list of 10, there is no Super Mario Brothers Advance games on it. Okay. I have two more that I just thought of. There's got to be a Pokemon game. 
on there, I assume? There is, uh, okay. but it is not a core Pokemon game. Again, same reason. Okay. Because we're like, someone is going to say Fire Red Leaf Green. Okay. And then final thought, Golden Sun? Uh, Golden Sun was talked about. Okay. Golden Sun is not okay. on our list of 10 to start. Fair enough. Fair enough. That catalog is very dope. No, it is. I'm j- Now I'm like, we've planted the seed. The listeners now can make their own speculations. I'm excited for that Let one. me That'll give you really one fun. that you sort of guessed. Okay. Um, Pokemon Pinball Ruby and Sapphire is on that starter list. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. I respect it. I respect so, it. So, again, come see our panel Sunday, yeah. 1130, uh, in the Monarch Theater or on twitch.tv slash either PAX 2 or PAX 3. Awesome. I feel like that's a catalog where, like, I wouldn't be mad about any 10 good GBA games. There's there's too many to choose from. So many. All right. Well, let's jump right into our first segment. We're going to kick things off with our usual icebreaker question. Today, we're talking about two really awesome indie releases that we spent the last few weeks playing. But I wanted in a broader conversation to talk about length in video games, which I think will play a role into the review discussion later. But I wanted to talk about what's your ideal length for a video game and maybe how has that evolved over time as you've gotten older? So with game players, as you age, there's the paradox of time and money, right? I've, I've probably said this on other podcasts. So sorry. Uh, as you are young, you have not a lot of money, but so much time. As you get older, you have tons of money to buy games, but you just don't have time to play them. So as I've aged, I'm very much like, team, please, more shorter games. If there's a game that's two hours long, that's four hours long, that's six hours long, I'm immediately attracted to it because I'm like, cool, I can actually finish that. Because, for example, I'm playing Final Fantasy 16. I am 26 hours in. I have been playing it pretty casually since it came out. Did it come out in June? Yes, like towards I feel the like end I started it in yeah. July and I've been playing mm-hmm. it for six weeks because I can only really play it three or four hours, five hours a week. So I'm very much team shorter games, which is why I'm sort of really happy that we've got two shorter games here. If a game is 40 hours, I can only really play two or three of those a year. I don't know if you're in the same boat. I'm definitely in a similar camp. I think what I tend to do, and I think for those that have followed my content over the years... Towards the end of the year, you'll notice that I don't really finish that many games. I try to finish as many games as possible when I'm reviewing them, but I have to quickly move on in order to have kind of a sense of everything. And that's kind of, that that's a preference. Like I make that choice to kind of be well-read on everything rather than a completionist on a mm-hmm. handful of things. Um, but I love a good short game as a palate cleanser. I think the two games we're talking about today are perfect examples of like just really nice, short, concise experiences that I can get to between things. And I also Mm -hmm. don't feel bad stepping away from a bigger game like Tears of the Kingdom to play a shorter game for a couple hours and then come back to that larger game throughout the year. So yeah, I think as I've gotten older, to your point, I've only appreciated shorter games more. And especially when a game is sub six hours that's if if people are positive on it that's like almost a must play for me regardless of genre which as a kid i feel like it was definitely the opposite of like get one game for christmas one game for birthday maybe scrape together allowance in there somewhere and 
you wanted those games to be as long as possible. Like it was Skyrim, it was Far Cry, it was Forza Motorsport, Halo, whatever you could just like keep going back to. Um, I think, and I still my... love those games, but it just it doesn't hit the same way as a a nice short game that you can see the beginning, middle of that end of in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, you, you you definitely are a game taster as we go like later in the year of like you just want to touch everything so you have an opinion on it. But I I think then of like my my gaming dads that I know like your Travis Colnuts, your Adam Gumberts, your Arsene Lockpuz. Like once your kiddo gets to a certain age, like you don't get the same playtime. Maybe when they're a baby, you can kind of just sit with them because they sleep a lot and you can play games. But when they're two when they're three when you have two kids like travis is is now having a second kid i can't imagine how much game time you're going to get then how do you game you're then making sacrifices in other parts of your life to spend time playing games sure it's a balancing act and it's what is more important to you because i think like you could look at the games that we complete in a given year and say like, Oh, we completed dozens of titles, but half of them were less than eight hours long. Whereas somebody, maybe I look at my partner, Claire, who's playing story of seasons right now and has probably put like upwards of 50 hours into story of seasons. <laughs> like she loves that game. I don't think she would trade that experience to have had to have played 10 smaller titles. Mm-hmm. So to each their own, but it's kind of interesting as we talk about like game quality and people talk about like the value of a dollar game prices continue to go up in terms of physical releases and things and triple a titles um so yeah interesting it is august 25th when we're recording this and i have beaten 26 games this year many of those to your point are titles that are 10 hours or less um but I just really see that going down over time. If you want a, a great chat about this and also how to log your different games, I was on the Spoonful podcast maybe a month ago. That's um, that's Mario and um, Emmett Watkins Jr.'s podcast. Nice. And we went and we talked an hour about, like, how do you track your games? How much are you playing? Like, how have your tastes and your time changed uh, over time? So if you want the part two of this conversation, uh, please go check out Spoonful. Um, it's a good pod. Good guys. Uh, good very, chat. Very nice. That's awesome. All right. I think we've put it off long enough. I think we need to jump in and start talking about these games. So yes. the two games in question today, we're talking about Stray Gods and Vemba. Two indie games, two very different experiences. <laughs> um, we're going to start with Stray Gods. Um, so for folks that aren't familiar, Stray Gods, the role-playing musical, it's, it's a really, really unique game. It was published mm-hmm. by Humble Games, developed by Summerfall Studios. This is their first title, and this game was originally funded through a FIG campaign back in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy star-studded cast, voice yeah. actors and, and performers include Laura Bailey, Troy Baker, Ashley Johnson, Janina Gavankar, um, Merle Felicia Dandridge, Day, Merle Felicia Dandridge. Day, yeah. um, Anthony Rapp, who are, yeah. if we have any Broadway musical fans in the house, like that's mm-hmm. when I saw his name in the credits, I like lost my mind. Cause I was like, that's, that's insane. He's, mm-hmm. he was in the original cast of Rent, like legendary performer. Yep. So incredibly stacked cast and the general premise for the game, I'll set this up and then we can get into our discussion, but 
Um, it is a choice-based narrative experience. The game is fully a musical, and it is set in this modern fantasy-based world where your character, Grace, is encountering um, other Greek god idol figures throughout this journey. It turns into kind of a murder mystery, whodunit, musical. I I guess that's a light spoiler, but it happens literally at the very start of the yep. game, so it it kind of sets everything up, but just like such a unique experience. And I think for me personally on paper, this is a game that I should love so much. I, I love musicals. I have a music degree. I love like, um, uh, podcasts like Kurt Hamilton's strong songs where he like analyzes songs and music and picks them apart and analyzes why they're interesting or relevant. Like, that's totally my jam. So, like, on paper, this is a game for me. And I think I left it feeling not, I don't know if confused is the right word, but I there's just, like, there's so much going on in this game. And I think it does some things really well, and I think it does some things less well. Mm -hmm. So I think I'll leave it there. But, Jacob, I'm curi very curious about your thoughts on Stray Gods. What did, what did you think kind of overall? And I know, I'm not sure, you weren't able to finish it correct, which is, totally fine for the discussion but i'm curious your overall impressions yeah so you finished it i played maybe two and a half hours of it which is probably somewhere between a third and half of the game depending on how quickly i'm reading uh to your point exactly a uh role-playing musical i think the thing that maybe i didn't looking at the trailers consider is that it's actually mostly a visual novel and yes. then yep. there are these big set piece moments where there's original music by Austin Wintory, who we love. It's a mixed bag for me as well. I, I think that for me, I usually, when I like a game, I want to go back to it and I think about it when I'm not playing it. But this is something that I almost really had to force myself to kind of keep playing. I really love the the comic book series. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you know this one, the wicked and the divine Mm. It yeah. came out uh, from 14 to 19. It's um, uh, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McElvey that put that one out. And it's almost the same story of like humans become gods. When they become gods, they then like their life is limited. So like a little different, but but sort of samey. And I love that comic book series. So For I sure. was like, oh, you know, Greek mythology. Love it. The Wicked and the Divine. I love it. Uh, look at this voice cast. I love a lot of the folks in this voice cast. Awesome winner is doing the music. Uh, it, the writer of Dragon Age is the one who's kind of putting this one together. It is like bucket it list project. It checks so many boxes, yeah, and of just. But like... then it just doesn't. It doesn't do it. And there's there's tons of different like issues that I have with it. Um, but I think it's just sort of boring. As as wild as that is to say, it's boring outside of the musical numbers. Yeah, I think that's that's a good segue into I think the big thing to talk about with this game is the music. It's mm -hmm. a musical that is the basis of everything that the game is. And I think from a musical perspective, I just don't think the music is that strong personally. Mm -hmm. I think for me one ad, one out of every 5 songs hit in a way where mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is cool. This style is interesting. This is advancing the narrative in an interesting way. I feel like my choices are actually affecting the direction of the song in meaningful ways. And like, I feel like in those instances, the game was working as intended. Mm -hmm. 
But for those other four out of five musical numbers, yeah, I think boring is kind of the word I would use as shitty as that feels to say. And I guess it feels shitty just because it, I can tell there was like love and care put into that this game if that makes Mm -hmm. sense like there's production value the art i think is really really striking there's a thoughtful Um, universe as well yeah yeah like there was definitely intention here but i almost wonder like i think that i have this theory that i feel like the choice base aspect of the game at its core limited what the music could be Mm. if that makes sense i've I've been kind of thinking it through after i finished it a couple days ago and thinking about the fact that like austin wintery had to write pieces that were flexible enough to go in essentially three different directions Mm -hmm. and i feel like that almost didn't allow the music to like commit to one voice Mm -hmm. so it feels kind of disjointed but I felt like it was more connected if I just picked one straight straight path and kept doing that same. So for listeners' context, there's essentially like three types of answers to all these choose-your-own-adventure mm-hmm. prompts, similar to like a Mass Effect. You have like your Paragon Renegade. In this game, yep. you have like your kind of neutral response, your clever, witty response, and your like, I'm the asshole yep. response, more or less. Mm-hmm. And for me, I only felt like I got interesting outcomes if I was the asshole because yeah, then same. I kind of yep. ratcheted up the music in a way it was like, oh, something's like happening at least. Like yep. people are mad at me. Now we're going to like be musical about it. That's interesting. A lot of the but time it, it like, turned adversarial, which was, yeah, like, and it's which like, was neat. Which like I for me, I didn't necessarily want to take the conversations in that direction, but I just like I felt like we needed some intrigue. It was like, what is what what else is going on here? But I don't know how. What did you think of the music personally? Because I know you're also a big fan of Austin Wintery, and I think we both went in with pretty high expectations in that regard. Yeah, I'm a musical dum dum. Uh, I think my my brother is a classical musician, and I have and I have appreciation for musicals. Um, but for me. That's a really great point that I hadn't considered about, like, that essentially you need a neutral composition that is flexible enough that you can then take it in three different directions. Because my understanding is the soundtrack for this one is actually... Like three separate it's, it's I think it's four separate four, OSTs. Yeah, you're right. The normal and then taking it in, in the three different, like, um, sonic directions... But yeah, there was there was a lot like I appreciated how some of these actors I I didn't know they could sing as well as they do. Like obviously we know freaking Troy Baker can sing. I mean in every video he can game do it, it seems all. Yeah, he can do it all. Yeah. If there's a Troy Baker video game, he's probably singing in it. Laura Bailey was incredible. I was Absolutely. I was shocked at how and and really just because that's not what I associate with Laura Bailey, but I was just like, I heard it, and every time she delivered, like, really great performances, and even hearing, like, Ashley Johnson, for example, I loved hearing her as Calliope. I think she was fantastic. Some of the performances maybe not as great for people who are not singers by default. Um, the voice performances were were mostly good, too. Uh, I mean, Janita Gavinkar, I think, did, like, a a fantastic job as sort of like your sidekick besides Laura Bailey. Um, but yeah, some of the, some of the tunes I just was like, they were there to deliver you from point A to point B in the story. And I just like, this is sort of dull. Yeah, I I can definitely agree with that. It, it's interesting. You bring up the point about 
some of the performers that aren't like quote unquote classically trained mm-hmm. musician performer types. And I felt the same argument when La La Land came out. I was going to Ooh, yeah. to college at the time and very like in the like act- academic music community at that time. Mm-hmm. So I was hearing a lot of like professors and like different folks like unpack that movie. And most of the like, I'm going to use the word snobbier musician folks in that academia world really didn't care for la la land for that reason that you mentioned of like they felt like listening to ryan gosling and emma stone sing was like why would we listen to them when we could listen to an ella fitzgerald a classically or like not classically trained but just like a a legendary performer in that Mm -hmm. realm and to me it's like i don't know i think it's kind of interesting to see folks who don't typically sing sing because it feels somewhat authentic and genuine in this world of like auto tune and like everything's mm-hmm. like pitch perfect. Like it's just like, it, it, I don't know. There's just something authentic about like, it gives it this, like you're at an open mic night coffee shop vibe to me, if that makes sense. But I guess the, the counter argument of though is like, I don't always want to listen to that for a full game. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this game suffers from the fact that like, unless you get that full breadth of all that the music is, Mm -hmm. I feel like in an isolated, I'm just listening to this song. It's, it doesn't hit every time. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate because I think it kind of needs to, in order to like enrapture the player. I hate to give like this, because this feels sort of like a cop out to say this, but like, I like the fiction that they're weaving. I think that it's an interesting world. And then obviously we know a lot of these characters because of Greek mythology. Um, but I almost want just the, like the Netflix version that only has the musical numbers in it. That maybe has a little bit of interactivity in it where I can choose one or two paths, but yeah, I just, I guess having played it two and a half hours, I want to know from your perspective, does it get better does it pay off in the end? Because this may be a game where I kind of will try and pick it up one more time and then go, maybe I just don't finish this one. It, it's tough to say because in terms of like pacing and style, I don't think the game changes that drastically. Mm-hmm. I think the narrative gets more compelling as you continue to get to know the characters. More characters are introduced. There's some like cool relationship play between different characters that I think is really fun. Um, And I think later in the game, you do get some of the best musical numbers because I think you have like the, not to spoil it, but like at the end you have the most people singing together that you've had in a point of the game. And like, I think that's really cool because seeing all these performers that I know and love harmonize together and things like that, that was really cool. Like that was a very cool musical moment. And so like, for me, I felt better about the game after finishing it. And I think I rolled credits around like five and a half hours. So not how many acts are there? There's three and then kind of like a pseudo epilogue. Okay. So, but the the thing is, though, it's just like I to your earlier point, I still felt like the game was homework the yeah. whole time. Like there would be a song where I'd, I would enjoy it and I would be intrigued and then I would make a choice that felt like it would be a a big deal, like, a mm-hmm. whoa, this is really going to shake things up. And then like at the end of the game, they're like, 
hey, you made that choice. I'm still going to do this, though. And it's just like, well, <laughs> that the felt best. like a big thing. Like, you were upset at me for doing this thing, and then it didn't really feel like it mattered. I'd love to chat with, like, a bunch of other people. I, I went on YouTube after I finished the game tr trying to just get a sense of, like, how diverse are these endings? Because I saw online, like, a completionist run, quote-unquote, of the game is, like, 35 hours. Ugh. If you were going to see, like, literally every single tangent. Mm -hmm. But I was trying to just get a sense of, like, did that actually, like, is that worth it? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I'm still conflicted. Because everything I saw, it was, like, slightly different paths or like instead of singing with persephone you're singing with apollo you know what i mean in instances where it's like depending on who you allied with the one interesting thing i will say and i don't think this is a spoiler different characters can live and die and so you can make it oh. to the end of the game with different characters still present in different ways so i did think that was compelling in a sense that like I don't want to spoil, but, like, I had a character die at a significant way through the game that was very impactful to me. And that, to me, was kind of one of the moments where I was like, oh, wow, I, like, actually really liked that character. I wonder what choice I could have made. Mm -hmm. Was it possible to save her? Oh, I said her. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but point being is, like, things can happen in this game, and it mm -hmm. does seem like your choices are impacted, but it didn't really get... I didn't get that sense while I was playing it. I only got that towards the end, where okay. it actually felt like things started to kind of fall into place as a result of choices I made. Mm -hmm. I I did spoil myself, so don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, there are content warnings on this game, and I was like, oh, let me check out what the content warnings are, because like, you don't see that on every game, and they're very sure. much like... There's one that's under the, the death category, and you click it, and it's like, a character dies in the first couple minutes, and then a character dies near the end. And I was like, ah... You could have just said they died. Sure. And then maybe give me more detail and say, hey, where? Just because, like, I can't but deal that with that. Said, but that said, if you choose the choices that I didn't, maybe that character would live. Like, it's... Fair. That, to me, is compelling. But I mm -hmm. guess, like, I don't feel so compelled by that what if that I'm going to go play it again right mm -hmm. now. Like, I uninstalled the game as soon as I finished it just because I felt... Like, I had a complete experience and I got a sense of what the game really is. Mm -hmm. Um... I'm, one thing, I wanted to give like one more kind of negative critique, and then I want to shout out a couple positive things within yeah. the game. But can we talk about the the sound mixing? Yeah, in this game because it's really strange. Who and commented game, it first between us? Because one of us said, What's "I think going it was you," and yeah. then but I was feeling it too. But I think I was riding my like volume control the entire mm -hmm. time I was playing it, essentially. It feels like a lot of, and maybe this is just because we're like audio nerds and we enjoy like balancing levels of videos and podcasts and different things. So like we think about it more, but it, it just is very strange in a sense that like you'll have two characters in a room. They're talking to each other. One character, super balanced, can hear very clearly. Other mm -hmm. character responds. It's like as if the volume just got dropped negative yep. 40 and yep. it's just very disjointed in that way that I'm pretty shocked at considering the star power, considering mm -hmm. the, like, y you know, Austin Wintry and his, like, whole background in composition. Like, it, it seems like they should have a solid sound production team, and I don't want to disparage anybody, but it just seemed odd. 
and all things considered. To your point, too, sometimes it was individual lines of dialogue. I would say right. that this is mostly for the voiceover sections, not the not the like song sections. But there would even be lines within like a specific piece of dialogue where our characters are maybe like throwing ten lines back and forth. And one character's line is clearly more quiet. And then further right. down that same branch of conversation, one you know uh, piece of audio is, is way louder. I was just shocked because it's not typically something that we see. Like there are some games that just have like music that you forget or um, you know maybe the voice acting is really just there to deliver the plot for you. Where here it's the actual sound mixing, the sound engineering that I was I was just really shocked that it was so off in some spots. Yeah, it just seemed really strange because it seemed like the production value of the game mm-hmm. was quite good, like from a technical perspective, from a visual perspective, from a, a casting perspective. Yep. Like it was just like, huh, this really... For a game that needs the audio to be like rock solid, it, it felt a little shaky in places, um, which was a bit disappointing. And to your point, it was really inconsistent. Like, yes. sometimes it'd be fine, and then the next musical number would be like, what happened here? Like, Can I throw just one more small negative out, and then we sure. can talk about what we like sure, about sure. this game? Um, there's also these sections of the game where you have to just, like, look for clues in the environment or, like, you know, speak to certain people, and it's like you're given a, like, view of the room that you're in, for example. Oh, and, and you, just like, a, have to look at everything. A and list it's of the things, most, like, yeah. and you have to just look at them. It it was, I was just like, what are we it just seemed unnecessary and and the comments on those items weren't even anything of substance like it was just like oh that's a that's a glass on the counter (laughs) and it's like okay yeah yeah so that was odd one other note with that too i was thinking back to when we were talking about the like different dialogue options and Mm -hmm. now you can pick the neutral the asshole or the the witty clever response Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. did you have I want to know if this was just a me issue of like, if you, it allows you to pick like for that scene or that act, what you're going to prioritize. Mm -hmm. And then you're not able to pick other stuff during Mm -hmm. the scene. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand that choice. Yeah. I don't understand the mechanic to me. Cause like you're saying like, okay, I'm going to be the asshole in this act. And then you get in there and you're like, well, based on this situation you're presenting me, I would like to be clever and witty, yep. but you're actively not allowing me to click the response. It's locked but out. you're showing it to me. Mm-hmm. You're showing me that I could say like, "Hey, friend," whatever. But instead, I have to because I picked. I'm going to be an asshole. I have to pick. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, man. Or yeah, you know, I'm. This, this isn't all. This is all hypothetical. Yeah. But just like, really weird. I didn't understand the point of that. And I one. don't get if it's tied to when you start the game, you pick a trait. Uh, when you pick the charming kick-ass no, or clever? because th- throughout the game, I got prompted like three or four times. I think it's once every act, but it may have been more frequently than that. Mm-hmm. But it prompts you, and it's like, what do you want to do this time? And you can change it. And there are certain instances where like mid-song, you mm-hmm. can pick different ones, but it mm-hmm. seemed like in story moments outside of the musical numbers, you had to pick either s- neutral, nothing, or whatever slot you previously chose yeah and look i would get it if if they showed us our morality and i know that's not what is going on here but like some sort of morality to be like hey you've chosen 76 percent charming or like sure. you've picked charming two out of five times so you can access that choice but it just seemed a little like obfuscated and i didn't there's no like game element to yeah. unlock that option so yeah. does that mean to do the full playthrough you have to literally go through and just pick 
all charming all the way through the six hours. Then you have to do all kick-ass through the six hours and then all clever through the six hours just to really see everything. But then in the musical numbers, you can be an asshole but still be charming outside of the... Like, yeah. it, it's just kind of strange. So, yeah, I I think we, we've thrown out a lot of criticism and I think rightfully so, but I, I do want to highlight a couple positive things that I think mm-hmm. the game does well. I think if you're someone like Jacob and I that like to see new IP that like to see innovative ideas that like to see indie studios, just try weird shit and experiment and just go for it. I think this game is worth playing. I would give like tempered expectations of like, I don't think the music is going to like rock your world. I don't think the narrative is going to blow your mind, but I think there's a lot of solid stuff. There's Mm -hmm. some cool character moments. I think, Overall, the performances are really solid, yep. and it's fun to see characters performed by actors that I normally wouldn't see in this setting. Like, mm-hmm. I, I had a lot of fun with Rahul Kohli's oh. character, the Minotaur. Yep. Like, so funny, super charming. He was one instance where it was like, oh, it's kind of fun to hear you sing, because it's like, you get all the comedy bits, and it's yep. like a fun, like... It was a nice palate cleanser off after, like... Laura Bailey's like kind of more like sorrowful, like intense performances in the beginning of the game, like things like that. I think um, it's a really interesting game and it does some cool things mm-hmm. is what I would, would say. Yeah. I land very clearly in the, like I appreciate and love that this game exists and that I want, you know, summer, summer fall studio to work on the, another thing. Yeah. Um, I love the performances. We haven't really talked about the art. I think the art is yeah. really beautiful. I think some of the character designs are fantastic. I mean, I could stare at um, Troy Baker's character, Apollo, those abs all day long. Um, there's not a lot of animation in it, and that's 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 a choice that I'm okay with. That sure. like sometimes the 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 backgrounds and the characters will just sort of like you know transition every couple of seconds between different frames, which I thought worked really well. And to your point, yeah, some of like, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It reminds you of, I was just going to say of like the spoken dialogue scenes in Hades meets like the Mm -hmm. animation style of like an as dusk falls. Yeah. Kind of in terms of like the still frames and stuff, Mm -hmm. but anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to It looks like a comic book. It really does. Yeah, totally. And it, to that point, it, it also reminded me of, um, Wolf Among Us that's based on the fables comics Mm -hmm. And kind of that tone, too, in terms of the narrative structure and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I kind of land in the, like, I'm glad this exists. Uh, It is something that I don't know if I'll finish. It is not something that I I could really recommend. But there are folk, like, the Metacritic's pretty, and not that that this matters, but, like, the Metacritic on it's pretty solid. I think it's in the the either high sevens or low eights. So there are some folks that are going to really love this. Uh, but it is really not a game for everyone. So I think, like, temper expectations, take a look at the trailer. If Greek mythology, the art style, the thought of a role-playing musical really, like, draws you in, I definitely think you should give it a try, but just, like, tempered expectations. And if you do give it a try, tell me what ending you get and what you did, (laughs) and we can dissect our different playthroughs so that we all don't have to play it seven times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I finish it, I will definitely hit you up and say this is what happened. For sure. I'm I'm very curious. But yeah, overall, interesting game. Didn't always land, but that's all right. Would all you right, recommend we... it? 
I would give it like a middle thumbs up. I would say okay. like if this game, if you think this game is for you, I think you'll probably enjoy it or get something out of it. But if you're remotely on the fence, I would say don't play it. I would say maybe watch a stream of mm-hmm. it if you're intrigued by it and you don't, you know what I mean? Like I think there, there's something there, but mm-hmm. not for everybody. Yep. Agree. It can't be a two thumbs up, unfortunately. Like a, <laughs> a just, you know, like with a, with no asterisk endorsement yeah it is a hey you might enjoy this go check it out yeah Alrighty. well let's talk about venba and i think you and i have made it i haven't talked to you about this game at all like i know you finished it but Mm -hmm. i don't know how you felt about it so um i'm super curious so for those that aren't familiar this one was developed by Visai studios Mm -hmm. um they're based in toronto canada um incredibly small team but this is a really interesting narrative cooking game where Mm -hmm. you play as an Indian immigrant mom, Venba, who immigrates to Canada with her family in the 1980s. And then you get to experience um, different dishes and restore family recipes and kind of go through multiple years of the family and experience this narrative experience through food. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's a super unique game and it's been one that's been on my radar for several years since I first saw the announcement. Um, Before we jump into our thoughts on the game, I wanted to give a quick disclaimer. Um, I thought it's worth mentioning that Jacob and I are two white guys talking about this game. And just the fact that we don't have any direct knowledge or experience of the culture depicted in the game. But I think that almost makes it a more important game for us to discuss because I think it's a really important game in terms of the landscape of the video games industry and cultural representation. Um, But I just wanted to give that, take our opinions with a grain of salt, but I think we both have a lot of positive things to say about this really special little game. Yeah. I think, Um, and I don't say little in a derogatory way whatsoever. It's as like to that conversation about length earlier, it's like this perfect package that I think deserves to be discussed. Yeah, I think that uh, what I would encourage folks to do is if if you you know get through this conversation and you're interested more, please seek out the perspectives of folks who culturally understand the background a little bit better. Um, we had the chance to read a Wired article um, from Sania Ahmed. Uh, it's yes. called Venba's Focus on Food and Family Takes Me Back to My Roots. It's fantastic. So it's really maybe awesome. we'll, we'll link it in the description. You can check that out. Um, she talks perspectives. about how she Go played ahead. the game with her mom. And it, yeah, yep. it's a wonderful read. Really, really, really nicely done. Yeah. So just read that as either right now or like right after we're done, we're done talking about it. I guess beyond being Canadian, that's about the only perspective I can give. For um, sure. I really liked Venba. Surprise. Did you really like Venba? I loved it. I, this yeah. is one of my, my favorites of the year. And I think mm-hmm. I went into this one with pretty high expectations, not in a sense of like production value or anything crazy, but I just like, I expected to really vibe with this game. I thought I, I love food and culture and understanding the experiences of others. And I think mm-hmm. this game just really captures a lot of powerful familial moments yeah. that, I personally haven't experienced, but I think it it let me experience someone else's life in a really meaningful way. And I think mm-hmm. the connection through food, I think, is so cool and interesting as someone who's worked in a lot of restaurants over the years. Like, mm-hmm. 
there there is a magic to food and to sharing recipes and to being with family and having those experiences and i think this game captures all of that magic in a really wonderful way yeah and i think that i can say that it's the the story is universal like as as much as there are some like really lovely like cultural touchstones that i think you know we can educate ourselves on and that will make like certain folks like their hearts really warm or will like have extra resonance for them i think that this is like this is a story one that i appreciate because it's from the female perspective which we don't get enough of in games and Agreed. it's from the motherly perspective and it doesn't like it's not about being a mom it's about like how the impact of having a kid is on you and then i'm sure we may talk about it like at a high level but there are a few moments that like even as someone who's a just a straight white dude um i just my heart broke because I, I i've 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 seen stuff like that but maybe just not as as poignant as poignantly delivered as it is in the game yeah, no, 100% agree. And I think to our earlier discussion about length, I finished this game in about 90 minutes. Yep. I played it in two sittings. I probably could have finished it in one, but I just started it late one night and then ended up finishing it the next day. But um, such a concise experience mm -hmm. that encompasses multiple years of narrative and multiple moments of like joy and heartache and like familial togetherness like i it, it was such a roller coaster but in the most beautiful way of like yeah. wow i can't believe in 90 minutes we saw like the birth of a small family through later in their lives like i just thought that was really really special and yeah there were moments that i, I think the moments that really resonated for me were those interactions between Venba and her son mm -hmm. and seeing that relationship. I'm, I'm super close with my parents and to see a game kind of encapsulate like that relationship and that kind of back and forth and the like tension or not tension, you know, that those elements, I just thought it did it in such an authentic real way without mm -hmm. feeling like overwhelming, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Like it felt like a very approachable game to pick up and lose yourself in yeah and it was it was like the small moments the that really like punched in the gut stuff that you know even on a first playthrough maybe you didn't catch like without really going into detail there's a moment where um venba's husband uh you know he's he struggles through the whole game with getting employment that really matches what he had in india and he just brings home his ID badge one time and his name is spelt wrong. And like, he doesn't bother to, you know, mention it, tell anyone that his, his, his freaking ID badge, his name is wrong and he just doesn't really action it. And, and that's, that's a perspective I will never understand. I will never be in that position, but it, it absolutely broke my heart. And it's something that like I had to go back to and say, Oh shit, his name was spelled wrong. That's heartbreaking. The little things. Yeah, for sure. Or like the the moment where the son wants to order pizza and the mom yeah. wants to share food from India. And I mm -hmm. think that's another experience that like I will never relate to. But 
I think gives that wonderful insight into a culture that I'm not familiar with. Um, and I think it's, this game strikes this wonderful balance of like being relatable for the people who have had those experiences mm -hmm. and are of that culture mm -hmm. and inviting others in to learn and celebrate and grow. Um, I, I just think that's such a like, we just don't see this happening. And I just think this, this game should be celebrated in that regard of like, what a cool, positive, wonderful thing to do with a piece of art in this medium. I put it right up there with Florence. I think like Florence, I, I probably played it in a time in my life where I, it resonated more with me only because like, I know what it was like to like date and like, think about living with someone when it came out and so like it just resonated more with me but like Venba's is is right there with Florence of like a game you can play really quickly um that uh, has a really poignant story that'll make you think that'll make you cry potentially um and even if you know maybe one of my only criticisms is that like in a lot of the 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 build up to the release of the game there was a lot of focus on the cooking aspects of it. And I just thought there'd be more cooking mini games. You know, there's, there's not that there's, there's a, a decent amount of them, but there aren't that many. Like there's, there's probably less than 10 moments where you're cooking a thing. And I, I just wish there was a little more really my only criticism. Cause like even, even those portions of the game were fun. Sure. That, that's a good segue into let's talk about the, the cooking sections of the game um those are the main like interactive element of the game i really like the fact that they ended up being sort of puzzles mm -hmm. almost as venba is trying to reassemble this cookbook from india mm -hmm. that her family gave to her but some of it is like missing pages or like things are smudged out and you can't make out measurements or ingredients or different things and so the the cooking mini games end up being a lot of trial and error which i thought was really really fun and it resets so quickly that it never felt frustrating to kind of experiment and just try stuff mm -hmm. um i i definitely understand your criticism about wanting more to me it felt like it didn't overstay its welcome yep. and they used it in really intentional ways to enhance the narrative mm -hmm. so i think for me this is one of those instances where it's like I almost think if the game was significantly longer, we'd be saying, oh man, I wish the game was, it felt yeah. like a little, it, you know what I mean? Like, I think they like it, this game just felt so intentional that I, mm -hmm. I don't even know if I could like criticize anything about it because it just felt like everything was so specific and had a purpose and served that well. Um, but yeah, I think we also haven't really gotten into, um, the music and the art yeah. of the game, which I think are really wonderful as well. Uh, like really colorful. Uh, yeah. You know, the music is, um, it sounds like they went and, and sourced a lot of artists. Um, I don't know if they are, they are Indian artists or they are like Indian Canadian artists, but um, a lot of that music just made it, made the experience feel more authentic. Every time that you were cooking, you know, Vemba would yeah. turn on the, you know, the music and it would play while you were cooking and it just really like elevated the experience. I'm, I'm a person, you know, I don't think I've said this on the podcast that is a celiac um, who uh, doesn't eat a lot of bread and gluten. So I end up eating a lot of like Indian food. And so a lot of the, some of the dishes I was just like, 
I could almost like with the music on and with the art style, I could almost, I was two inches away from smelling like the Bin Ronnie that I was making. I was just going to bring up smell because I felt like anytime you were dropping like ginger and garlic yep. and onions into a pot and I'm, I immediately like could sense it. It just like it evoked like all of your senses in mm-hmm. the best way in a really cool, cool way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could I could smell the cardamom. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, I want to get into, I think we've talked a little bit about kind of the game's length, the game's lasting impact, but mm-hmm. in terms of as we're approaching the end of the year, do you think I personally will be championing this game amidst our game of the year conversations because I don't want it to get overshadowed by a lot of bigger titles this year. But I Mm -hmm. think in terms of a cultural impact and a relevance and an importance in 2023, I think there are very few games this year that I think are doing as many important things as Venba is doing. How do you feel kind of about its place in 2023, if that makes sense? Yeah. You know, we started the episode talking about short games. I think, you know, it it will be on that list of like short games that you can play under six hours. Like Venba should absolutely be on every single one of those lists because it's it it really brings a lot of what Florence brings. And Florence is a game that I usually bring to people when I'm like, hey, you don't play a lot of games. Games are not necessarily what you think they are at all times. You can just have this really amazing story that like you know makes you cry, makes you think. And so I think the thing that I'm going to end up doing from now on is that if I give that recommendation to someone who, like Florence, to someone who does not play a lot of games, if they then like that, I will then say, okay, then you need to play Venba. Like that will then immediately be my follow-up. So can I guarantee you that it will be on my top 10 list at the end of the year? No. But if we were making the list today, I could I could see a world where it is. Based on what's coming, right on. obviously surprises are always down the road for us. Sure. Um, but I think it's it's on the list today. It's it's a great, it's fantastic. It's really good. We also yeah. didn't mention the fact that this was a day one Game Pass title. Yeah. So for folks that, um, I don't know why you'd be on the fence about this great game, but if you need a reason, like no barrier to entry, Game Pass, get in, play it right now. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Do you have any other closing thoughts on Venba to throw out there? No, I just, you know, it, it, it sort of broke my heart and I don't want to say that I, I cried. Um, but I, I did. definitely, I did multiple times. You did. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that friend of the show, Kyle Stevenson did too. Cause we're all just like big old soft boys. We um, feel our emotions, you know, we, f- <laughs> and that's okay. Absolutely. Uh, I felt the emotions at a couple of points, but it was more just like, Man, I I just really felt bad. I was like, this hurts to play. Good hurt, not bad hurt. Yeah, it's like, it's a, a, I I cried at the end and I'll say that it was a joyous, beautiful cry, a cathartic cry. It's a a meaningful game. So yeah, I'm 100% with you there. I am absolutely stoked for whatever the next project that, that Abby and the team at Visai like decide they want to work on. Yeah. Because their next one's got to be killer too. Yeah. This is their first game and it's, it's so, so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations to the whole team over there. Um, wonderful, wonderful game. Highly, highly recommend folks. Check it out. 
All right. Well, before we close out the show, I think there's one more thing we wanted to talk about after all these reviews. Jacob, you just went to Tenocon up in I Canada. I Tell did. me all about it. Maybe maybe set the stage a little bit. Um, I, I know Warframe is a big deal. Digital Extremes is well known. But, like, what is this event? What was it like? How was yeah. it? All, all that good stuff. Let's play a fun game. How old do you think Warframe is? Like, how, how many years do you think Warframe has been around now? I... I feel like I remember first hearing about it during the, like the PS4 generation. So I'm going to say like 2015, 2014. So like nine year, eight, nine years. This is the 10th year of Warframe. Okay. Uh, I was in the so ballpark. So you're, you're right in the ballpark. Uh, it's my third Tenocon disclosure. Uh, my partner used to work at Digital, Digital Extremes. So I just want to gotcha. put that out there. Um, For sure. So this is my third third Tenocon, I think. It's the first time they've done it live in a couple of years because pandemic. Um, and I was given the opportunity, thanks to uh, their their PR folks, to, to attend. And the thing that I really want to hit home is that there was some, some surprises on the Warframe front, but like they showed first gameplay of their new game, Soul Frame. Oh, and cool. I, was, I was genuinely impressed by it. That's awesome. Is it like similar genre and like live service structure or what's yes. the setup so, for that one so that's a good point it's it's really the first time that they've talked about it in in detail um but essentially what they've said is that it'll be a little bit slower than warframe because if you've played warframe which if y'all haven't it's basically like space ninjas and it is a like pve solo co-op like live service game free to play i've used a bunch of words there but i hope that it illustrates the kind of game it is uh it was a little rough at the start like in the first year but then had really turned around like by year three or year four there's a there's a great documentary by no clip uh if you want to check that out about the studio and about warframe and it basically almost sank them as a company um but you know has sort of been a a bastion in the world of of free-to-play games but essentially if warframe sorry yes if warframe is the like space ninjas this is almost like uh I don't want to say like Elden Ring, but it's almost like a hmm. like a First Nations slash Indigenous version of Soul Frame that's more focused on melee combat. Okay, that's kind of yeah. interesting. So what I would encourage you to do is like go watch the footage uh, because yeah, I'm curious. It, it, this game probably is still like a, at least a, a year and a half out. I don't know anything about when it's being released, but like. It's probably a year plus out, maybe even two years out. Uh, but they had an extensive demo, like a probably a thirty-minute demo, oh, where wow. they sort of just went through, uh, you know, some one of the procedural procedurally de- generated dungeons. Uh, Is this that hands off? They're like walking you through all this, or yeah. Again, okay. we we never know if it's you know if it's faked or whatever, but. Sure. Uh, it was gameplay that wasn't cut is sort of what I'm getting at. And cool. it reminded me of a lot of for honor, like okay. as, as far as That's the, interesting. Like the, the combat melee focus. Yeah. The melee focus, because it like, I would imagine the game is instanced to a certain degree, much like destiny where like players kind of fade in and out and almost Warframe is, is instanced as well. Um, sure. and I don't want to say there's like, and again, there's a very early build. Um, mm-hmm. but it looked like there might be some of that, like, hey, this game is persistently online sort of jank when you're... Okay. Jank's the wrong word, but, like, you could tell that it's being persistently online. Um, it looked really good. There was a couple of boss fights uh, between, um, you know, yourself and another character. Again, the lore is sort of still being unraveled, but at one point, um, the main character fights a, like 
corrupted stag and it just looked really impressive and at the end of it there was just you know this stag who was very tall really impressive just sort of like walks up to you and speaks to you about how like you 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 smell like like the ancients or the, the the indigenous folk of the land but also that there's maybe a corrupting force behind you as well it was just like it seems like it's going to be a little more RPG than than Warframe. Um, okay. And based on the world they're setting up, it's I'm more interested in Soulframe than I was before this. Because when you say like, "Hey, next game from DE," like you probably know what that looks like. But Soulframe looked really looked really interesting. Obviously, still very early, but um, it looks like they like I don't know any inside info here, but maybe they even consulted with some First Nations on it because I. It, it it looks pretty true to life from like a from an indigenous um from an indigenous perspective so Interesting. um that was the first piece of it and then they also sort of announced some big stuff around warframe uh they've been talking a long time about cross save for warframe they got cross progression done i believe in the last like 12 to 18 months now they're finally doing cross save which sounds like that's the that's the toughest thing to do uh, and so it's going to be them preparing for it for the next couple months, and it's dropping this year. So that was, in my mind, the That's one of the biggest big. pieces of news. Yeah. Um, but then they just kind of went batshit with some of the announcements that they made, uh, announcing some of the new expansions, uh, including one that's sort of a Y2K-inspired expansion, which is probably not the thing you were expecting me no, to say at all. that's really wild. So, okay, expound on that, because now I'm... Curious, what what does that look like in video game form? Yeah, so what they did is they they kind of start the demo, um, kind of showing um, one of the. Again, it sounds like it's multiple different updates that they're kind of teasing out, um, but one that that's relatively normal that kind of goes through. A, I don't want to say Warframe is sort of samey, but like. A lot of the inside spaceships, but maybe with a little bit of life in them that you expect in Warframe. But then you start interacting with like older technology. Like literally, there's like a beige PC box in uh, part of the demo that your character interacts with to be able to um, like go into or transfer their consciousness into a larger being, which is. This is not a Warframe lore podcast, so I'll leave it at that. But that's sort of the first expansion that they announced or the first drop or update that they announced for 2023. It's called Whispers in the Wall. And then after that, uh, it sort of just cuts and then you're in a, a like underground subway with a real like like what looks like an AK-47 and Nine Inch Nails is playing. And I guess like there are there's like different universal stuff in Warframe where you get transported into like other otherworldly situations without a better way to explain that. And uh, I guess the expansion that's coming in 2024, the update in 2024 is called Warframe 1999. That is literally just like copying a lot of the nostalgia that you'd get around Y2K. And in part looks like it's taking part in like a large city US subway station. Huh. Not what I expected at all. The crowd no, was very that's, confused. That's really interesting. I don't know. Warframe is such like, like an interesting like think piece in yep. the games industry. Mm-hmm. I I've always been kind of overwhelmed to try it, just because it seems like there's so much content. You can play it for so long. You can get sucked in. Um, yeah. Granted, I, I, I could say that about other games as a service games, but yeah, what's been your experience with it? I, I've played maybe like. 20 
10 to 20 hours of it. Okay. And it was just something that like, I'm like, this is a good, this is a good game. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could see myself getting stuck in the, you know, sucked into the lore here, Mm -hmm. but it just seems like a very large investment. Like it is not something that, you know, we've, we've talked about other games where you can kind of get in this episode, the narrative, like really, really uh, quickly, or even Final Fantasy 16, which is like a 40 hour experience that really sets up a world and gives you a lot to, a lot to chew on. This is something that you're going to spend hundreds of hours, maybe even like, you know, five to a thousand hours playing just to really get everything. Um, that's not for me. But I, I would definitely yeah, say fair. that Soul Frame has got me interested in tracking kind of what's going to happen with it. Next big game yeah, from DE, sure. it's been 10 years, like, I'm interested. And if anything, this 1999 update is going to get people talking because it's weird. And, like, literally Nine Inch Nails was playing during the, the gameplay. That's really trippy yeah what was like the the crowd reaction since you were at this in-person event was were people into it or was it what was the vibe i think that uh there was a couple of oohs and ahs during the like the first part um mm-hmm. whispers in the wall i believe is what what that update's called but the crowd was like genuinely shocked when if you can't hear it on the audio if you do end up watching Tenno live the crowd audibly gasped when the character like was in a subway and then when nine inch nails started playing Love it. Very yeah. cool. Uh, nice. Beyond that, it's, uh, you know, I live in the town where they do 10 Live, which is why I was there. Um, for sure. But it seemed like there was some, some good fan service in the area, too, for um, for fans of, you know, DE's games. There was also, uh, they were showing off Wayfinder as well. Um, okay. For people that maybe have not engaged with it yet in, in the room and then had some... Had some merch drops and some museums of, of stuff. And then the, the the weird other cool announcement was that if you watch the Hacksmith, the YouTube channel, they also partnered with them to sponsor a BattleBot for the upcoming BattleBot season of television. Okay. They like to do weird shit over there. It's great. Right on. There's your you 10 Live. Digital extremes. Love there's it. Your, there's your 10 Live update for, for 2023. Heck yeah. Well, that's, that sounds very fun. I'm glad you got to go to that event and check out some cool stuff. We'll keep mm-hmm. an eye on Soul Frame. Did they give any, like, hints as far as timeline for that one or when it's done, it's done kind of deal? Absolutely Because this was, no. like, the first reveal period, so. Yeah, this was, like, the really the first out. gameplay, and they, they shared some details for the first time that, like, hey, uh, it's more of an RPG than, we're, than we've got done it. before. It's a little outside of our wheelhouse. It's a little slower than, than Warframe. Um... And then we got some details about some of the systems, like your stats are divided into sort of three, um, like Courage, Spirit, um, and Grace uh, is kind of the the way the RPG system is made. But they didn't give any details on announce date, but whenever it's ready, great. Uh, But this game is is probably at least 18 months away. Cool. Well, well, that's super exciting. Something Mm -hmm. to keep an eye on for sure. Good Mm -hmm. stuff. Before we close things out... Wanted to give a quick plug. We are going to be doing a sticker giveaway. Oh. Um, we have some cross-play conversation stickers. I'll move it closer to the camera. You can see that there on the video version. It's pretty cool. It features our awesome art. Um, we love it. We love it. Um, but we'll be giving away five stickers. So if you'd like to win a cool cross-play conversations Game Boy sticker... I'm going to ask you to do two things. If you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Crossplay Convos and retweet our current pinned tweet, we'll select five winners on the next episode. Maybe after um, packs. Maybe after packs. 
<laughs> the next episode that we yeah okay so two episodes from now we'll say yeah yeah um and i didn't mention u.s and canada only just to make things simple for shipping and getting things to folks if you want a sticker so mm -hmm. and also let us know in the comments would you purchase a sticker do you want us to make this available let us know mm -hmm. we'll, we'll consider it no promises <laughs> All right, Jacob. Well, this was a blast, as always, and I'm looking forward to seeing you very shortly at PAX. We're going to be friends in real life. Let's do it. All right. Well, listeners, we are setting our status to away until next time. But until then, you can do three quick things for us. You can follow us on Twitter at Crossplay Convos. You can go ahead and send this podcast to a friend because that's how people hear about podcasts. And you can give us a review on your pod podcast platform of choice because it really helps folks find the show. And with that, it's been a wonderful night. Cheers and happy gaming.